In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Beloved of the Lord, let us draw near with a true heart and confess our sins of the God our Father, beseeching Him in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to grant us forgiveness. Our help is in the name of the Lord. I said I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord. Oh, Almighty God, merciful Father, I 
the Old Testament lesson from the fifteenth Sunday after the Holy Trinity, written in First Kings chapter seventeen. Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. See, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gates of the city, indeed a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Please bring me a little water and a cup that I may drink. And as she was going to get it, he called to her and said, Please bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. So she said, As the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread, only a handful of flour in a bin and a little oil in a jar. And see, I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, Do not fear. Go and do as you have said. But make me a small cake from it first, and bring it to me. And afterward, make some for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, The bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry, until the, the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. So she went away and did according to the word of Elijah. And she and he and her household ate for many days. The bin of flour was not used up, nor did the jar of oil run dry, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Elijah. This is the word of the Lord. Especially to those who are of the house. 
Thank you. 
Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Trinity 15 teaches us about the first commandment. No one can serve two masters. You cannot trust in two things at the same time. Either you trust in God and He is your Lord, or you trust in the things of this world, namely mammon. Anxiety is a sin because it shows a lack of trust in God, who provides for the worthless birds and for the ephemeral flowers. Seek God's kingdom first. Seek it before a house or a job. Seek it before breakfast. Indeed, seek God's kingdom before you put your pants on in the morning. And if you do, God promises that you shall receive all good earthly gifts as well, just as Solomon did when he asked the Lord for wisdom to sagaciously rule his people. In the Old Testament lesson, we see a historical playing out of Jesus' dogmatic words. The woman in Zarephath sought God's kingdom first, and by a miracle, God gave her all other things by feeding her and her household for many days. Today, we see an unlikely parish in Zarephath created and sustained by God's word. The first thing we'll talk about is how unlikely this parish is, and the second thing we'll talk about is that this unlikely parish is sustained by God's power through his word. This parish is unlikely. This parish is unlikely because of its location. God says to the prophet Elijah, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Now we don't think much about these words because we don't understand the context. Who is Elijah dealing with? Who is Elijah fleeing from? Elijah was sent to Ahab, the king of the northern ten tribes and his wife's name was Jezebel. The previous chapter has this to say about that diabolic duo. He took as wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians, and he went and served Baal and worshipped him. This idolatry was worse than what had come before. The previous kings, starting with Jeroboam, committed syncretistic worship. That means that they had mixed the religion of the true God with false practices. And so they worshipped the God of Israel through golden calves set up at Bethel and Dan. They forsook the worship at the temple in Jerusalem, and they forsook the Levitical priesthood, and they just let anybody be a priest. And that was bad. The golden calves were called the sin of Jeroboam, and it eventually led to the destruction of the northern kingdom. God does not want us to add to his word or to take away from his word. And he is very angry with us when we add or subtract from his word. But this Baal worship introduced by that dragon lady Jezebel was worse. The worship of the true God was nearly exterminated and blotted out. The churches were not only empty, they were either pulled down or left to decay. The Lord's preachers were driven out and killed. This was a time known for its general wickedness and debauchery. The visible church, it seemed, had completely vanished from sight. But there was still a God in Israel. Appearing seemingly out of nowhere, Elijah the Tishbite thunders the most solemn oath to the godless king 
and to his wicked, misled people. No rain shall fall on the earth except by the prophet's word. Here, the thunder of the prophet is a warning, not of coming rain or snow, but of coming drought, destitution, and death. The amazing thing is this. The prophet then leaves. He goes to a brook where he is fed by ravens. He doesn't preach sermons from a pulpit. He doesn't teach God's word with words, because the word has already been spoken. The sermon of that the northern kingdom would now endure was not a sermon of words, but of want. The people's hearts were so hardened in sin that God took desperate measures and applied a radical cure. Because there is no polemical sermon so powerful against Baal, a rain and storm god, than the lack of rain. There are times in church history, they are the worst times, when you have to be silent in order to be heard, and to be absent in order to be present, and must take drastic measures without explanation. And so it was. The brooks dried up, the fields turned to dust, the livestock lowed out of thirst, the poor wailed, and the rich cursed. God's land was barren, desolate, and dry. This sort of sermon God employs to break the hearts of a stubborn, adamantine-hearted people. And while the land of milk and honey is made waste and void, God sends his preacher to the most unlikely of parishes, Jezebel's home turf. God sends his prophet away from the holy land into a land sitting in the night of paganism and unbelief. To those poor souls who were shrouded in the darkness of death, the great light of the gospel shines forth in all of its splendor. It's really hilarious when you think about it. Jezebel sends out her stormtroopers and her CIA, searching high and low for this troubler of Israel. And all the while that she searches in vain, Elijah dwells in the domain of her illustrious father. Truly he that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh, and the Lord shall have them in derision. And it amazes us. It amazes us that a church is planted, it grows, and it thrives right in the middle of Baal country. We think that it's an unlikely place for the church to be. But we really shouldn't be surprised. Jesus, in his first sermon, condemns his own countrymen and relatives for their lack of belief in Luke 4, 24 through 26. And he references this Old Testament pericope. He says, Assuredly, I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. But I tell you truly, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens was shut up three years and six months, and there was a great famine throughout all the land. But to none of them was Elijah sent, except to Zarephath in the region of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. This text reproves us, destroys our false thinking, we believe that conversion is unlikely or impossible for some people. They had a bad upbringing. They were raised in the heartland of Islam. They were murderers or rapists or whatever other horrible things you can imagine. Or 
They're simply not used to our liturgy. Many of them don't even speak our language, so why in the world would they convert? How is it possible? We think this way because we do not completely and solely trust in the power of God's word. We think that in order to be heard, we need to relate. We think that we need to be this or that. But it's not true. In fact, God says that language is not even a barrier to his blessed word. To the prophet Ezekiel, God says, For you are not sent to a people of unfamiliar speech and of hard language, but to the house of Israel, not to many people of unfamiliar speech and of hard language, whose words you cannot understand. Surely had I sent that you to them, they would have listened to you. The house of Israel will not listen to you, because they will not listen to me. In fact, it seems that what the Bible is saying here is that we who grew up in the church are the unlikely ones to believe. And while we're reproved, we're also comforted by these words. The word of God is living and it's powerful. Even in the most spiritually dark place, the mustard seed of God's word is implanted and it grows. Even among the prostitutes and the tax collectors, faith is found. In the place where Satan dwells and where Satan's throne sits, there stands an Antipas ready and willing to undergo a baptism of blood and he's ready to preach a sermon spoken on the bloody sand that the victory did remain with life and that the reign of death is ended. And the beasts of Ephesus roar their amens through bloody teeth as they charge that saint, ready to refine him for the last time. Unlikely? No. Impossible. Impossible for man, but possible and certain through God's powerful word. So let us return to our text. The parish in Zarephath is also unlikely because of its resources. The Bible tells us to be prudent with our daily bread and to prepare for the future. Joseph saved 20% of the crop during the feasting years so that they would be satisfied during the years of famine. Proverbs 6 teaches us to be prudent by pointing to the ant. Go to the ant, you sluggard, consider her ways and be wise, which having no captain, overseer, or ruler provides her supplies in the summer gathers her food in the harvest. How long will you slumber, O sluggard? When will you rise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep. So shall your poverty come on you like a prowler and your need like an armed man. The first Christian church in Jerusalem also shows us this prudent planning. They didn't wait for a miracle while their congregation members were starving. People sold what they had to provide for each other. And when that wasn't sufficient, they sent Paul and others to get donations from congregations like the Macedonians. But this widow is different. This widow didn't have years of plenty to prepare, like Joseph did. This widow did not have a Barnabas who would sell his land and give the proceeds to the poor. This widow looked at her budget 
and the numbers were unforgiving and they were grim. There was no more food. There was no way to earn food. There was no government safety net. There were no more austerity measures to enact. There was no more fat on the budget to trim. She and her son were going to starve. Her words to the prophet were cold, they were hard, and they were according to reason. See, I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. Reason has its limits. It brought this poor widow to the edge of oblivion. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Where reason fails, God's word prevails and it provides. I mean, it sounded insane what Elijah asked. How could this prophet ask for a little cake first? What in the world is he doing? Why is he stealing from this poor widow and from her child? And yet, God makes a solemn promise. The bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry, till the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. It's as if God is saying, Dear woman, do not fear. I am the God of the widows and the fatherless. I love you with an everlasting love. You gave my prophet a cup of cold water out of faith, and you will by no means lose your reward. And so I will show you something that few have seen. I will work a wonder. I will suspend the very laws of nature. I will bring something out of nothing for you and for your child and for the prophet. You and yours will eat and be satisfied this I swear. Now we have no word from the Lord that we will experience a miracle when times are tough. We ought not to expect one. There were many widows in Israel when the famine came, and Elijah wasn't sent to those widows. Perhaps they did starve. Only God knows. But what we do know is my final point. This unlikely parish is sustained by God's power through the word. This parish in Zarephath was an unlikely place for God to plant a congregation, but it was immovable. God's word was there, and so the church was there, and the gates of hell shall never overcome the church, the gathering of God's people around the word and the sacraments. Now, the bin of flour and the little jug of oil was, historically speaking, a literal bin of flour and a literal jug of oil. They were the means by which God physically fed the widow, the boy, and the prophet. But I hope you'll permit me a little allegory, a little word picture. The bin of flour and the jug of oil are a beautiful picture of God's holy word. Like that bin of flour and that jug of oil, the Bible might not seem like much. Go to the public library 
where they have thousands and thousands of books. And we Christians hear these texts again and again and again. I mean, haven't we exhausted these texts? Shouldn't this bin be empty after 40 or 50 years of reading the Bible? But the Bible, our bin of flour, and our jug of oil never, ever runs empty. Day after day, year after year, decade after decade, we read, mark, learn, inwardly digest the pericopes, these little cakes of God's Word. And there's always more to find, there's always more to learn, there's always more to digest. And these cakes give us strength. These cakes strengthen our sagging spirits. These cakes give us the courage to live in a land where demons dwell. These cakes of God's word satisfy our souls in a way that earthly bread can never, ever do. In John's sixth chapter, Jesus tells us not to seek for the bread that perishes, because man does not live by bread alone by every word which proceeds from the mouth of God. And that's what God's word is. God's word brings us Jesus, who is the bread of life. God's word are spirit and life. And if we lose riches, fame, child, wife, or freedom, so what? Let these all be gone. The victory has been won. The kingdom ours remaineth because God's word is our great heritage and it shall be ours forever. And that word, that bin of flour and that jug of oil shall feed us for many days until Isaiah's prophecy about the coming Christ is fulfilled forever. When he says, rain down you heavens from above, And let the skies pour down righteousness, let the earth open, let them bring forth salvation, and let righteousness spring up together. I, the Lord, have created it. And when Christ, that heavenly rain, falls upon the earth to judge both the living and the dead, then we shall be satisfied forevermore. Today, we see an unlikely parish in Zarephath created and sustained by God's word. Israel's loss was this woman's great gain because one man's owl is another man's nightingale. Into that Baal-bestridden land, there sits the prophet Elijah. And he goes in and out unhindered. He has flour in his barrel, He has oil in his jar. He has a sturdy roof and a soft bed. And most importantly, he has a clear conscience. An unlikely parish and an unlikely congregation made reality by the almighty word of God. May God create and sustain many such unlikely parishes in our land. Amen. May the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.